up in verse 18, and I should have sent you an email and told you to bring your notes that I'd passed out here a few weeks ago, but anyway, um, <clears throat> you can limp along, and I'll try to make sure that I get the spots they're taken care of. This probably is going to be the longest Bible study that I've written in the book of Acts because it's already uh, eight. I've, I've given you eight pages, but I've already written uh, right at 12 pages, and I've still got a lot of steam to go. And so, anyway, but uh, let's, let's look at this. Let's look at Acts chapter 20. I'd like to begin uh, in verse 18. Uh, the Bible says there, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mine, with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Now let's skip down to verse 26. He says, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Let's skip down to verse 31. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Skip down to verse 33. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. And so what Paul is doing in verses 18 through 20, verses 26, 27, verse 31 in verses 33 through 35, what Paul, what Paul is doing is Paul is looking back at his ministry to the church there at Ephesus. You remember, he is on his way leaving Ephesus. He didn't go to Ephesus. He met them uh, there, I think it was in Troas. He met them and he was going to skip on heading on his way to Jerusalem, but he wanted to speak to these elders uh, here from Ephesus. And so he's looking back uh, at the past of his involvement there. And uh, Paul, Paul speaks about that matter. Notice uh, what he says. He says, you know uh, at all seasons, and notice what he says. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility. Uh, look at what else he says. He said, with many tears and temptations, uh, and those things right there is what builds a ministry in a person's life. Your, your ministry that the Lord has called you to be involved in, there are going to be tears and there are going to be temptations that are going to strike you uh, in your walk with the Lord. And uh, then he even mentions the persecution there. He said, the things that befell me in the lying in wait of the Jews. Now, what was it? Uh, that the Jews brought. The Jews, they were incensed uh, at the Apostle Paul. There was great criticism that they had of him because they felt like he was subverting their lifestyle. And so there was a number of times where that they had it in that if they could have gotten their hands on him, they would have killed him just like they killed Jesus. 
But Paul comes along and notice what he says in verse 19. He said, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Now, I want to move forward just a minute. Look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and let's look in verse one. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse one. Here's what Paul says. He said, now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ who in the presence am base among you but being absent am bold toward you. And then turn over a page and look with me in chapter 11 and look in verse seven. He said, Having, he said, have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted because I preached to you the gospel of God freely. And then turn over a few pages to 1 Thessalonians chapter two and let's look in verse six. The Bible says there, 1 Thessalonians chapter two and verse six, he said, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others when we might have been burdened as the apostles of Christ. And so Paul was telling the church that he said, I have served you with a sense of humility. I, I think that if we were uh, to, to meet the apostle Paul, which we'll get the chance to do that uh, if we make it to heaven, uh, but Paul, I don't really believe, was a very charismatic leader. Uh, he makes reference that his physical appearance was not a very uh, powerful part. It was just kind of a, you know, he was just kind of a regular guy. Uh, there have been times where that, that I have been around, especially preachers, uh, that those men walked into the room, and when they walked in the room, they had a presence and I mean, everybody's eyes went to them and you realize that you were in the presence of somebody that really uh, was a man that was gifted by God and was able to, to, to be able to command uh, the situation there. Nor, Paul wasn't like that. He was not a charismatic leader. He was not a great orator uh, of a preacher. So what did Paul do? Paul pointed people toward the Lord. He pointed them toward a crucified Christ. In fact, he mentions that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where he talks about a crucified Christ. And so when you start looking at him, you begin to realize that Paul was not one that was preaching himself. He was preaching the gospel. He was preaching uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and was pointing people uh, in that direction. Now, I, I would mention this, and we'll come across this here again uh, in just a moment. Uh, we look at Paul in his uh, pedigree that he had in, in Philippians chapter three, where he starts talking about Pharisee of the Pharisees and where he come from and the things that he was involved in. He could have been, he could have leaned on that pedigree and said, look, he said, I'm, I'm here and, and I'm gonna, I want you to be impressed by uh, what I've done, what I've accomplished. But what did he say? He said, every bit of that was nothing but dung. Said it was just, you, you know what that is. The Greek word is scubalon. So if you ever, well, I won't go there. But anyway, um, 
you know, but that's what, that's what he said. He said, my pedigree, everything I've accomplished in my life, it's nothing but dung. It doesn't matter. Only thing that really matters is, is that I point you in the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's go back to Acts chapter 20 for a moment, and I want to look again uh, in verse 19. Notice again, here's what he says. He mentions the word tears twice. Verse 19, he said, with many tears. Then look across to verse 31. He says, therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. The ministry at Ephesus had cost Paul mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And I just want to tell you that if you are involved in any kind of ministry, if that ministry is going to be productive, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if you're pastoring a church or you're a missionary or you're a Sunday school teacher or you sing or you work with the youth. I just want to tell you this. Your ministry that the Lord has called you to be involved in, it will never be effective until there is some investment of tears that comes into that that you're being involved in. If there's not a burden that you have for those people that you're trying to reach, for those kids that you're teaching, with those kids that you're working with, if there's no concern, there's no tears that somewhere takes place in that, your ministry will never uh, be effective in that. And, and, and I, I want tears help us to have an eternal impact. Look over in Romans chapter 9 and look at what Paul says in verse 2. Romans chapter 9 and verse 2. He said that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Why? He gives us the answer in verse 3. He said, For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He was wanting them to be saved. And there was a great heaviness that was involved in that. There was a sorrow that he had uh, in his heart. Turn over uh, just a few pages and look in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, here is what else Paul would have to say about tears. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and look with me in verse 4. Uh, he says it like this. He said, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. And I, I would say that as spiritual leaders, as parents, as grandparents, uh, as just anybody that's involved, that there needs to be that that Paul says that 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 I'm grieving here. There are many tears because there's an abundant love and concern uh, that I have for that individual. Then turn over a few pages and let's look in Philippians chapter three and look in verse eighteen. Philippians chapter three. In verse 18, uh, he writes it like this. Uh, he says, and I've underlined this in my Bible. I also had two, four, 
2 Corinthians 2 and 4 underlined in my Bible, and I did this, I don't know when, but anyways, these are verses that I just underlined at some point. But look in verse 18, Philippians 3. He said, For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. I was talking about some spiritual leaders, some preachers, some folks that he had worked with, some saints of God, that now, he said, I'm telling you weeping that they're enemies of the cross of Christ. And so the tears, uh, they can come from many sources. I believe there's tears of intercession. Has there been a time where you just were groaning inside in concern for somebody that was lost? So intercessory prayer uh, should motivate us to tears. And, and again, I want to caution us that, that are older that, uh, that you have to be careful of that. You have to be careful that the older you get, that you've been around and you've seen. And, and uh, Teresa and I went to a deal last night and there was a guy who was wanting to sell us something. And, and uh, I, I just, I'll be honest with you, I'm suspicious. I can't help it. I'm, I'm suspicious of, of that kind of stuff. And, and you, you start thinking like, okay, somebody's, going to try to take advantage and, and that sort of thing. And, and yet we have to be careful that we don't let that be woven into our spiritual life. So there's tears that can come from intercession. There ought to be tears of concern that you have. Do you ever get concerned about what you see here in this church? Are you concerned about the spiritual atmosphere of this church? Are you concerned that we had probably 25 or 30 people out in the hall on this past Sunday night? Either in the hall or over in the other building. You concerned about that? I'm concerned about that. I get concerned that whenever I get up to preach that everybody just takes off and goes. I get concerned about sometimes our lack of prayer prior uh, to the service. I get concerned if there is a, a spiritual uh, like clamp down and there's no liberty and authority in our worship service. I get concerned when I look at people and I, you, start, you start saying that, oh, you, well, and they say, well, you're being judgmental. I'm a pastor. I'm not being judgmental. I'm looking around and I'm concerned that there's not a real spiritual connection that's taking place in the lives and the hearts of people. So tears can come from intercession. Tears can come from concern. Paul also mentioned in 2 Corinthians 11, tears that were associated with hunger. I'll look at that in two different ways, physical hunger, and I also look at that as spiritual hunger. Has there ever been a craving desire that you have for the kingdom of God? That I'm hungry for the Lord and I know that there's gonna be a price tag that's involved uh, in that desire that I have to know God. And uh, we are trying to get uh, COVID messed up. I was wanting us to have the church, the, the the old church remodeled and all that stuff by this time, but COVID just kind of monkey wrenched every bit of that. But Teresa and I have been overworking trying to get some of my stuff out. I literally had forgotten that I had so many cassette tapes. And I, I would guess, I would say that I probably have five 
to 6,000, maybe 7,000 cassette tapes and CDs, preaching tapes and all that. And I put my hands on a bunch of those Saturday or last week, whatever we was doing it. And, uh, and, and I just started, just started bringing back memories, sermons that I picked up, uh, found some from Brother Anthony Mangum, uh, found some from Brother Ken Gurley, sermons that were preached back in the 90s, sermons that were preached back in the early 2000s. And I just began to look at those things and, and it brought back memories of older services. 20, year, 20 years ago, I would have been... 34 years old and, and I start thinking about that those were shaping times in my life that I was, I, I can remember going to because of the times and uh, they would get through preaching and Brother Patterson and I would be there and, and I mean that's when they still had pews and, and I mean just weeping and pleading and crying out to the Lord, Lord please send revival to Dothan, Alabama, Lord please somehow save our church, save the people that are there. And there were tears that were involved in that spiritual hunger, spiritual desire. And I prayed that, that somehow that, that God would stir that in your heart. A passion for God will bring, you, uh, bring tears to you. Here's another one, disappointment. Uh, you can know about tears from disappointment. There are things that happens to us sometimes uh, in life where that there is a disappointment. I'll tell you here some other kind of tears that you need to get in your life where you get angry with the devil and there is an anger that you look at and there's a prayer that pours out of that because you look at what the devil has, has taken and used people to destroy the lives and the hearts of, of, other, of other people and have taken advantage of them and, and you sit there and you pray and you cry, uh, sometimes out of anger. And uh, you say, oh, you shouldn't have that kind of stuff in your prayer. Well, Moses talked to the Lord several times in places of anger and tears about what was taking place there. And, and I hate the devil. I hate what he does to people's lives. I hate that he wrecks uh, people's minds and their spirits and, and that they're, they're almost like they're spiritual pygmies because of what the devil has done to their lives and there's never any real release of the spirit. I will tell you this though, that there is an apostolic power that can come along and I'm telling you, it can break every chain, it can, it can remove every oppressing spirit, it can set people's minds and hearts free and it is a matter of just saying, you know what, we're gonna engage this kind of praying with our, with our tears. And then there's other times where you just pray and you cry just out of joy. I felt some of that even uh, in the dedication weekend for our church a little over a year ago, that there were just, just tears of joy that you felt like, man, we've, the Lord has helped us to do some things and he's helped us to come across. That's what Paul was talking about. And Paul experienced that whenever he was working uh, there with the church at Ephesus. Notice what else he says in verse 26. He says, wherefore, he said, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned 
to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So Paul, looking back in his past ministry, he reminds these Ephesian elders. He said, I want to tell you, he said, I have faithfully and consistently and boldly declared to you the word of God. He's preached to them in such a way where that they can't say, Paul, you didn't tell us the truth. I'll never forget years ago, I took care of a gentleman this was still when I was still on night shift. Uh, in uh, it was would have been sometime between 1987, 88, 89 before I went to Bible college. And I remember I took care of this gentleman one night, and uh, and so I got there, and he was a he was he was young. He was in his early 60s, which is getting younger and younger every day. And uh, and uh, he had gone in there, and they had done what was called a pneumonectomy on him. They had taken one of his lungs out because he had lung cancer. Problem was was that they had missed his physician, and this man was a chiropractor. And I remember this man at two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, and he he was talking to me, and I mean just tears, just just pouring out of his eyes and just, a, you know, he was just so disappointed because what had happened was his physician uh, had missed a spot on his chest x-ray. And, and that thing had set in there and it had festered. And uh, finally, a year later, he, he finds out that that, that is, is oat, cell can, oat cell lung cancer, which y'all nurses, y'all know that oat cell is a rapid uh, lung cancer. I mean, it's like wildfire. It just goes. And so they tried to take one of his lungs out, but in the process, they knew that he had some in his other lung. And um, I think now probably with advancement of medicine, they probably would have done some radiation or maybe went down another path. But, but this man was so upset with the physician, and he knew the guy. He was friends uh, with this physician, but that physician had, had missed it. And, he, and really, in reality, he should have caught it. And, 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 and there was a part where that he was expressing to me, uh, and I'm sure he's long since passed away now, it was 35 years ago now, and uh, and and yet he he was saying that my doctor didn't tell me the truth. He missed something, and and now I'm paying for it. I'm gonna die early because this man didn't didn't tell me the truth or didn't do due diligence with uh, his job. And Paul was standing here, and he looked at the church there at Ephesus, and he said, I want you to know I'm pure from the blood of all men. I, I told you all of the counsel of God. Now let's turn back to Ezekiel chapter 18, and I want you to look with me for uh, a moment in, uh, let's look in, let's start in, in chapter three, and let's look in verse 17. Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 17. Here's what uh, Ezekiel writes, and the Lord is speaking to him. Ezekiel 3, 17, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and you do not give him warning, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but 
His blood will I require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked and he turn not from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Again, when the righteous man, he does turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity and I lay a stumbling block before him, he's going to die because you have not given him a warning, he will die in his sin and his righteousness, which he had done, it won't be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he is warned, then you have delivered your soul. So there's a responsibility of a watchman to be diligent about what he does. Turn over to Ezekiel chapter 18 and look with me to verse 13. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 13. Here is what uh, the Bible says. Ezekiel 18, 13. It says, Hath given forth upon usury and hath taken increase, uh, he shall, shall he then live? He shall not live. He hath done all these abominations and he shall surely die. His blood shall be upon him. And so there was that part. Paul said, I, I'm pure from the blood of all men. Let's turn over a few more pages. Let's look in, and Ezekiel said the same thing. Let's look in Ezekiel 33 and let's look in verse one. The Bible says there again, Ezekiel 33 and 1. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land and he blows the trumpet and warns the people, and whosoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood's gonna be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and he didn't take warning. His blood <coughs> shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if that watchman see the sword come and does not blow the trumpet, and the people be not warned. If the sword come and it takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at that watchman's hand. I would just say now, obviously for those of, that are called into pastoral ministry or into five-fold ministry, it's a very, very uh, serious Thing to be called into that part because the scripture says uh, that there is great responsibility that we have to speak and to tell you what the scriptures have to say and what the word of the Lord has to say. It's important that we tell you the truth. And yet there's times where I don't, I don't speak with Brother Patterson, but I'll speak for myself that I just have to tell, I would love to get up here and just preach faith and encouragement and inspiration all the time. That would be awesome. That would be fantastic just to get up here and just, just man, let's just have a, a spiritual, let's get on spiritual steroids and let's all just get high on the Holy Ghost and let's just have a big time. 
but we can't afford to do that. We have to preach the word of God because Hebrews 13, 17, scary scripture. I want to read that. You've heard me use it several times, but let's take a look at it. Hebrews 13 and 17, is, this is what it says. It says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. I didn't underline that in my Bible, but I did underline the rest of it. It says, for they watch for your souls as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And the most terrifying moment in my existence is going to be whenever I stand before the Lord and the Lord asks me, hey, what kind of job did you do? And that's going to be a terrifying moment. And so I believe the Lord calls people into ministry. However, be careful that you don't fall under the emotion of a camp meeting, a youth camp, a youth congress, and get yourself in ministry if the Lord has not called you to be involved in ministry because it will be a disaster. And uh, <clears throat> so, so what did Paul preach? There were some themes that Paul preached uh, there in uh, the church there in Ephesus. Let's turn back to Acts chapter 20, and I'm just going to just zip through these real fast. You can uh, take the notes and look at them. They're on page 6. He talks about the grace of God, the kingdom of God, the purpose of God, the redeeming blood of Christ, repentance and faith, the church of God and its edification, the inevitability of suffering, the danger of false teachers, the need for vigilance, running the race, and then the final reward in the inheritance. All of those themes are covered from verse 21 all the way through verse 32. Now here's the, here's the good thing, that you see this summary of what Paul has preached in Acts chapter 20. You can turn over to the epistle of the, the Ephesian epistle and you can track down every one of these subjects and you can find all of these themes in the book of Ephesians. And that's really, you know, you get involved in, in personal Bible studies, you start trying to track down. It's like, look what Paul said in Acts 20. And then when you get to the book of Ephesians, it kind of widens it out. And you're like, wow, these are the themes that are covered uh, by the apostle. And so the whole counsel of God, there's an end furthermore, uh, I believe that this passage ought to be instructional to all preachers. Good preaching is hard work. Good preaching is hard work. And um, I want to give myself to being a good preacher. Um, and I know that sometimes that we think good preachers, we ask sometimes what in the world is a good preacher? I think a lot of times when the more you get in dig into the word that you realize that sometimes what the popular idea of a good preacher is and what the scripture presents of a good preacher are two different things. But I believe preachers ought to be Bible preachers. Uh, there's an entire Bible to preach and it cannot be neglected. And so anytime that we spend in the word of God, it is never neglected. And a minister has to be a committed student of scripture. 
2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. He does not want to be an ashamed workman. He wants to be a workman that uh, has, has done everything he can to rightly divide uh, the word of truth. And, and yet sometimes there's a tendency, and I've said this statement before, I'm not a theologian. I've tried to get that out of my vocabulary because here's the reality. I am a theologian. And I'm not saying that in a high, haughty way. I'm just saying that if you are a pastor or a preacher, you have a responsibility to be a theologian. Because what is theology? Theology is a study of God. So I believe that not only preachers, but I believe that saints of God that are in the pews, that you ought to be a theologian as, as well. Not somebody that says, oh, I got a degree and I did this seminary or that Bible college. Or, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being committed to the scriptures and knowing what the Bible says about the study of who God is. Now, whenever you start realizing there are some tools that we can use uh, that can help us uh, in our study, obviously, of the scriptures. And I heard sometime people before was, I can't remember who I was talking to about here recently, but Brother Griffin went to Bible college in the 50s out at Brother, I think it was O.W. Williams out in Tulsa, Brother O.W. Williams. They preached against preachers using notes. And so Brother Charles Grisham, Brother Naylor was, Wayne Naylor was telling me this because this past weekend he had Brother Ron Beckton in his church and Brother Beckton preached and he was talking about Brother Grisham is Brother Beck, was Brother Beckton's father-in-law. And so Brother Grisham said that Brother O.W. Williams, that what they do is they'd have preachers lined up on the platform and then they'd be, and the church was a large church in Tulsa, Oklahoma and Brother Williams would walk over there and he'd say, is your time, you preaching tonight? And these guys, I mean, no warning, no what's there, none, none at all. They just had to get up and go with it. Well, Brother Grisham uh, found out that or Brother Williams told him, he said, I want you to preach. And so what Brother Grisham did was he wrote some notes down in the palm of his hand with a ballpoint pen. And he said that as the service went on, that by the time he got up to preach, that all his hand had sweated and that all his notes in his hand had just totally disappeared, so he had to kind of get up there and, and to wing it. And, and I, I feel like, oh, my Lord, if you had to preach without notes, it's either good or bad, because sometimes you hear preachers say, I'm gonna share from my heart, and you either realize one of two things. It's either gonna be incredibly awesome, or you realize that this guy isn't any more prepared to preach than a man in the moon, and so anyways, but we, we ought to use things that help us to be theologians. And, and here just in the last uh, four or five minutes or so of this Bible study, let, let me talk to you about uh, some, some books that can help you uh, to know things about the Word of, good, Word of God. One is a classic. Uh, it's called Haley's Bible Handbook. It's a little small Books, an excellent book to have in uh, your personal library. Another book uh, written by a woman by the name of Henrietta Mears, uh, What the Bible is All About. I believe that you ought to have Brother Bernard's uh, books on the oneness of God. 
I believe that you ought to have his books on the new birth. I believe that you ought to have his books on holiness. Uh, other books that you can buy is Old Testament surveys, New Testament surveys. Uh, I've got a, a several of them up there, and, and I guess I'd say thank God for Amazon that you can buy used books, usually dirt cheap. Um, and and I have bought several common, several Old Testament, New Testament surveys by Don Carson. Uh, I believe this is another excellent book to have. And this one's kind of pricey. It's probably a thousand pages, but well worth the price. It's called Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. It's an excellent resource uh, for you to have. Obviously, we read things with a filter on. Uh, another old classic that's been around for probably 75 years or so is written by a man by the name of J. Sidlow Baxter. It's called Explore uh, the Book. And that is Johnny James, or was Johnny James. I don't know if he's still alive, but uh, that was Brother James' favorite Bible study book. He had a photographic memory, and there were times whenever he would preach that he would just start quoting, and some of the things that he would use during his messages was J. Sidlow Baxter's book, uh, Explore the Book. Pulpit Commentary uh, is a very good set of books to have. It's 22 volumes. Uh, it costs right at $300, but here's the good thing. You don't have to buy it. If you, if you download eSword, go to eSword.net, and you download eSword, and if you have a PC, you can get it on a PC, or if you have a Mac, you can get it. You have to pay for it, I think, like $10 for uh, if you have a Mac. Uh, but you can get that book because it's out of, um, it's in public domain now, so they, they, they don't charge the set of books that you pay $300 for. Uh, I can't remember. I think my mom and dad give me a set um, of the pulpit commentary either they did or my wife did about 25 or 30 years ago now. Uh, you also, another book that I would recommend, and we use this book some, we need to get back on track, is Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. Uh, it's just a very good, and here's the deal about Grudem. Grudem is a continuationist, which means that he believes in the Holy Ghost. He believes in the active work of the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, let me tell you about a couple of resources. If you don't like to read books and you want it on a screen, uh, esword.net is a free download Bible program, and you can download hundreds of resources. Treasury of David by Charles Spurgeon, um, pulpit commentary, biblical illustrator, handfuls of purpose. All those books are in public domain. You can get them as add-ons uh, for Esword. There's another Bible program, and I use this a lot, um, and it's, it's called uh, Logos Bible Software. Now, you can invest as much as you want to pay in a small car <laughs> Uh, for that, so you have to kind of be careful with that. However, they do have an initial starter package. It's about $49, and uh, you can download that and kind of get you a package, and then you can just start kind of adding to it uh, as you do so. I am a very strong, um, I, I'm, I just only have good things to say about, about Logos Bible software. It's a very good tool uh, to be able to use. And then one other uh, Accordance Bible Software uh, is another uh, good Bible program to do. 
And, and again, I, I want to, what I want to do is I want to create in a desire in you to study the scriptures and to read things about the word of God because I, I want to tell you there's going to come a day and I, I have read, there's no telling how many books I have read uh, in my lifetime and there's going to come a day that all that stuff that I've read and I enjoy reading uh, but there's going to come a day whenever I will get to heaven and, and you'll think, man, I wish I would have spent more time instead of reading about uh, Stephen Ambrose's books on the, on the World War II if I'd have read the scriptures, read the Bible or some kind of Bible book. And I want to do everything I can to get you to fall in love with the scriptures. And um, YouTube... Uh, let's stand. YouTube, there's a guy on there. Look him up when you get a chance. His name is Jason Mayfield. And, and Jason Mayfield is a, he's a, he's a, I think he's an Assembly of God guy or something, but he's kind of a funny guy, uh, as in comedy goes. And uh, he, he's got a website called Tear Your Bible Apart. And uh, he's into journaling Bibles and he's always talking about, you know, ways, systems to mark up your Bible, different colors, uh, different, you know, ways to study your Bible. Go, go home and, and take a look at some of that. And, and it's just, what, is it, what it does is just inspires you to say, I want to do everything I can to get as much of the Bible in my life as I can. And when January comes around, we're already working on this. We're going to talk with our leadership team about some of this uh, on Saturday, which we have a leadership team meeting around 2 o'clock, is we want to do everything we can to make our church a word-centered and a word-driven church. And uh, I would love for us to come up with a, lo a mission statement or a logo, whatever you want to call it. Uh, grace to you, uh, John MacArthur's theme, and this is an awesome theme. I would love to use it for our church, but they have, I'm sure they have proprietary rights on this, but their theme is this, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time. You think about that. Unleashing God's truth one verse at a time. That's a pretty powerful statement. But I wonder about us, you creative souls here tonight, that, that what kind of catchy little phrase could you think that in 2021, if we were not all locked up and eating bread and soup in the jail because they've locked us down, but what kind of thing could we come up with as our church and, and, and I'm going to get that bookstore opened up and get that thing stocked up and get books in here and put things in your hands, okay? Because I'm telling you this, this guy right here, um, locked up in prison, no church service for 13 years. And he talks about it. He says the only thing he could do was quote the Bible that he had put in his mind and in his spirit. And I want our church to be word-driven 
and word focused. And if we fulfill Acts 6 and 4 and we give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, I'm going to tell you what, it not only is it going to benefit our pulpit, but it's going to benefit you as saints of God. And so just keep in mind, that's what Paul said. He said, I declared unto you all the counsel of God. Amen. Amen. Well, it's 8.35 and I could go on for another 25 minutes, but anyway, it's been inspiring to me. I don't know what you thought, but it's been inspiring here to me tonight. I've just kind of felt it flowing and I hope you've gotten some of that here tonight. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful, Lord, for this church. And I ask you, Lord, tonight that you would help every one of us God, in these desperate times that we live in, to give ourselves, Lord, to your word and to fulfill, God, the purpose, Lord, that you called us to. And I ask you, Lord, tonight that you would help us, God, to invest, Lord, even some tears, God, into whatever calling, Lord, that we have. That, God, that you would help us to invest those things into the ministries that you called us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you, and uh, thank you for coming to Wednesday Night Bible Study.